Many of you know, some of you may not, we uh, just came back off of a week-long mission trip to Ensenada, Mexico. We were able to build two houses through Hugo Ministries for two different families. Um, and I can't put the week into words, to be perfectly honest. But I can tell you this. <clears throat> when we first got there, they have a little cafe where they have coffee all day long because you need a lot of caffeine to make the week and other things, T-shirts and whatnot. When I walked in and saw a shirt hanging that said, Here for the Tacos, I knew I had found my ministry. I knew I was in the right place. But these are people after my heart right here. So I had to get this, talk, this shirt and preach in it today, as do a few other guys. Um, it was a great time. Um, it was, honestly, it was, it was hard to put into words. Um, this is a picture of us together in front of uh, the Maldonado house. Um, so half of us worked on this house and half of us worked on the other house, but we were able to come together. We were about 20 minutes apart, able to come together and take a picture together um, with this family. It was unbelievable. This is a picture of us having church together um, with our two families and with several others from the community uh, of Yurapan. So we actually had about an hour drive every day to get to where we were going. Um, it was uh, an adventure, to say the least, to get there every day and to get back. But um, the spirit of worship that was inside of that building that day was um, as incredible of a time of worship as I've ever experienced in my life. Um, we sang some songs in Spanish. We sang some songs in English. Our team uh, led, fairly spur of the moment, led, uh, led a worship set in English for, for, the, uh, for the church. And we sang, You're Worthy of It All, to end it. And, um, and uh, the uh, interpreter, through Josh, explained that... Um, what the song was and the, the phrase that we were repeating a lot and so the end of it everybody was singing that phrase over and over in two different languages at the same time and I'm telling you I had a foot in heaven it was it was unbelievable and um, you know when, when you when you experience worship services like that you just decide that you're just not ever going to have anything but that anytime you get to come into the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord and worship him uh, I want it to be like that every single time. So I, I bring all that up to say a couple of things. One, thank you for uh, your prayers. The trip was as smooth and as awesome as it possibly could be. Uh, and we, we thank God for answering prayers. And we know that many of you were praying like warriors during the week and the weeks leading up to it. And thank you for giving. Uh, we were a, when, we, when we asked the church and those outside of the church to give for extras, we were able to provide every single extra that Yugo Ministry offers for both of these families. So that means we were able to buy, provide them uh, a new outhouse that will be professionally dug and, and done properly, uh, a solar system where they are able to get a little bit of electricity in their home. They have lights they can flip on and off for the first time in their lives, uh, beds, dining table, a little propane stove, cabinets, things that every single one of us take for granted on a daily basis. Um, we were able to provide that for both of those families and we could not have done that if you had not given above and beyond uh, what was called and asked for. So thank you for that. And those of you that gave and those of you that prayed, you were just as much a part uh, of those houses being built and, and the kingdom being built and those relationships being built uh, as those of us who were able to physically go. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate your heart. It's amazing.
Hugo was working on a video that just shows our church because there were multiple groups there, and we, we hope that they'll have that to us during the week, and we'll show that next week and, and plan to have a time of, uh, of uh, testimony next week a little bit also. So be looking forward to that. We are continuing our s- series on the Psalms. We're in week five of the Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 80 today. Psalm 80. Psalm 80 is a, a cry for restoration. It's a cry for help uh, to God. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great one. It's a, it's a really good psalm. I like this psalm. Uh, many of you know that last year we did a series in the psalms, and I felt challenged personally. We, that month of July, we challenged the church to read through the, the psalms. And that month, I personally felt led to read through the psalms every month for the entire year, which was very impactful on my heart and, and was phenomenal. And that's where this second series kind of birthed out of was from that. Uh, some of the psalms, we know what they're talking about exactly. We know exactly, like, the situation they were in, the, the historical setting of what's taking place. Uh, some of them we do not. Some of them give enough context clues that you have a pretty good idea of what it's talking about. We don't know exactly uh, when this psalm was written and, and, and exactly the reason for why it was written. Um, it was definitely around the time of the exile when, the, when Babylon overtook uh, Judah and, and exiled them. Uh, to Babylon when Jerusalem fell. It's around that time. It's definitely a time that Israel is in sin uh, and is being punished by God. That is clear by the context. Many scholars disagree on the exact setting for this psalm. I tend uh, to believe and agree with John MacArthur uh, on and his rendering on this psalm that this psalm was probably written from Jerusalem in astonishment at the captivity of the ten northern tribes. So Israel had split uh, historically in the mid-700s and, and was, over, or, or was overtaken in the mid-700s, the northern part of the tribe. Twelve tribes of Israel, ten in the north, two in the south. The ten in the north were overtaken much earlier than the, than the two in the south were. And um, so the psalmist recognized that, that that would have taken place in 722 B.C. And he recognized that God's people had removed themselves uh, through apostasy, through worshiping someone besides him, uh, and from the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. So this psalmist is begging God to act and to restore his people into covenant blessing. You'll see that repeated several times throughout um, this psalm. In your Bible, there's, there's probably a, a notation, depending if they've translated it or not. Uh, it says, according to the Shohanim, or to the lilies, which would be, which would be translating that word, uh, and, and then a song of love. This is probably, the Shohanim is probably the tune that this psalm was played to and sung to. And then the other indication is probably it was probably a wedding song, uh, and maybe even a royal wedding song, um, which is which is interesting because weddings nowadays have a little different tune to them than uh, than what this psalm talks about. It, 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 they're not quite the worshipable celebration they should be sometimes. But I digress. I, I won't chase rabbits. Let's read this psalm together. Psalm 80, and it starts like this: Oh, give ear. Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your power and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measures or from a bowlful. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. 
O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Verse 8, you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadows, and the cedars of God with its boughs. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats, eats it away, and whatever moves in the fields feeds on it. Verse 14. O God of hosts, turn again now. We beseech you. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. Even the shoot which your right hand has planted it, and on the son of man, um, excuse me, on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. Verse 16, it is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we come to you today. We thank you for this blessed privilege to be in your house today, to be uh, together as your people, Lord, to hear your word proclaimed, to hear your word preached, God. I pray today that you would use me as a vessel. Empty me out. Lord, search my heart and know my ways and use me, preach to me and through me, God. Deliver you the message that you would have us to hear today, God. We, we thank you for the celebration of baptism that we had this morning. We thank you for the wonderful uh, mission trip you were, you were able to provide and let us to go on, God, and, and, and let us to be part of building your kingdom. We thank you for all things. We praise you for all things. We praise you for who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do, God. And we pray it all in Jesus' matchless and wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. So we start with the, the first set of verses there. Verse 1. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. He says, hear us, God. He prays boldly. Think about that. Man demanding that God hears him. Boldly, crying out, God, hear what I'm about to say. Listen to me, God. Hear me. And then as often in the Psalms, and should be often in our prayers, he lists some of, the, some of God's attributes. Why? Because God's forgotten them? I don't think so. I don't think he's telling God who he is so God remembers who he is. I think he's doing it so he remembers who God is. Because when we put things in its proper perspective, it makes a difference. When we put things in its proper perspective, it makes a difference. Here's the trouble I have. Here's the situation I have, and here's the God I have. And when you put those two things in its proper perspective, it makes a difference. This God that I have here can handle all the things that I have here. So God is pictured here, uh, God is pictured in Scripture in different ways, right? He's, in a lot of different ways he's described. In, in Psalm 22, 3, he's described as enthroned on the praises of Israel, of his people. Because a, a king's glory is the praises of his people. God is seen elsewhere in the Old Testament enthroned above the cherubim, and that's the way it's described here. The cherubim are a species of angels that are winged. It's where we get the, the misguided 
worldly view that all angels have wings, but some do, and the cherubim do have wings. This, the cherubim are, are the species of angels that are winged, and they are the guardians of holiness and the agents of judgment for God. And these together, with, the, with this dazzling brightness that he calls forth, you are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth, he's asking God to shine forth. This together were features of what is called a theophany in Scripture, where, 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 where God shows up visibly, not in his full form, but in a form to his people. God's majesty made visible, and this psalm prays for no less than that. It's a bold prayer. It's asking for God to show up visibly as the God who is above uh, and between the cherubim. If you don't know the reference there, that, 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 the, the Ark of the Covenant where Israel's uh, law set, the, the trunk that held the, the law of, of, of God that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. On top of that was the mercy seat where the blood was spilled every year uh, for the, for the uh, Day of Atonement. And what surrounded that was two cherubim on both sides with their wings over the top of, of uh, the mercy seat protecting its holiness and their wings were touching. And it is said that God would meet Moses there. God will meet you there in between that. And that's what it's calling on. There's another psalm uh, of David uh, in, uh, in 1 Kings, or maybe 2 Kings, where, where God's described as riding down from heaven on the back of a cherubim. That sounds cool. That sounds, I wish somebody would make a movie that showed that. That would be cool. I'd like to see that visually. But anyway, uh, the psalmist is praying for God to show up. He wants to see his presence. Show up, show up big. Because when God shows up big, the earth trembles, kings fall down, situations change, and miracles take place. And if you don't believe that, then you just need to get out of your blessed comfortness and go do something for God and allow him to show you what he's doing. Because I, I promise you, I saw literal miracles with my own eyes last week serving the Lord in Mexico. It was amazing. And then he gets down to verse 3. Oh God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. This is the refrain or the chorus, however you like to say that, of the psalm. It's repeated two more times in this psalm. Uh, and it's slightly variated uh, in the next two times it's used. Uh, it ramps up its calling on God. And this verse calls for God's face to shine upon us as in the calling in number 6 and the blessing placed on the priests of Aaron's line and the Levites. And number 6 says this, number 6, verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, in this way you shall bless the sons of Israel. You are to say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. Many of you know that verse now, and you didn't know that's where it came from because of the song that Carrie Job wrote and made these verses famous, but that's where it comes from. And that's what this psalmist is calling upon too. God, show up. To, to make his face shine upon them is for his favor to show up. Now, maybe your life is just perfect and peachy king. Everything's rolling along real smooth and real great. And, and you're not really worried about the favor of God showing up. Hold on, if that's where you're at. But maybe you're there this morning. But I have a feeling that most people deal with difficulties in their life. We have health difficulties. We have doctor's appointments. We have too much month at the, at the end of the money. Uh, we, have, you know, we have bills to pay. We have all the things that we have to deal with in this life. That's what this psalmist is talking about. I mean, 
not literally those things, but talking about being in a difficult spot and calling upon God to deliver them and to restore them. So maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, I don't really identify with Israel crying out to God when they were about to be overtaken by an enemy. Oh, contraire, you do identify with them if you'll open your eyes to see that this speaks to us just as much as it spoke to them uh, 2,600 years ago. Verse 4, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. Notice how that keeps coming up in the Psalms. It's almost like people have always dealt with difficulties in life, not just in the last 10 years. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. So in verse 3, the first time he says the refrain, he just says God. It was God in the first three verses, the, the, the first stanza. It's Elohim, which is the, the, like, the, like the general name for God in the Hebrew. Now the, the psalmist steps up his call. He steps up his call on God. Now he says, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord God of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, the warrior God, general, commander, sergeant, lieutenant, however, whatever makes sense to you, God. Commander of the heavenly armies, God. Lord, God of hosts. God of hosts. He says, the people have been praying, but you're not hearing our prayers. Not only are you not hearing them, you're angry at the prayers. How long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? Now, does that mean you should be so scared of praying that you shouldn't pray because you fear that God's going to be angry with your prayers? No, it's not what it means. But it means sometimes God is displeased with us and our behavior and our lack of obedience. You ever thought about God being angry at what you're praying for? Wow, I didn't expect that to hit me the way it did, but it did. It says, people have been praying, but God in his anger has not been listening. He hears, catch this, it's not that he doesn't hear, he always hears our prayers. He hears, but he has not listened, was the way we would say it in English. He hears, but he has not listened. I wonder how many times you have walked in here or some other place where you physically hear the word of God preached. You hear it, but you don't listen. It doesn't go to your heart where you're changed, where life transformation happens. There isn't a there isn't a word for obey in the Hebrew language. Did you know that? There is no word for obey in the Hebrew language. The only word is to hear, to listen. To hear is to listen, and to listen is to obey. And he's asking God to hear his prayers. And he says our sustenance, the thing that is sustaining us is our tears, and that you're the one feeding them to us, God. The psalmist knows that they're being disciplined for their lack of obedience. God, you're giving us nothing but tears to feed ourselves on, bread of tears and, and bowlfuls of tears. We're beaten down, and worse than that, we're humiliated. It says, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Difficulties are hard. Going through something, something hard is, 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 is difficult and, and hard to bear, but sometimes humiliation is the worst thing that we can go through. And, and, they, and he says, even, we're even being laughed at, God, by our enemies. Please, Lord. Do something. Lord God of hosts, warrior God, save us, he's calling out. And then this was kind of the tipping point of the psalm. Verse 7, he repeats the frame. 
the refrain, the chorus. Oh, God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Restore us or, or turn us again, King James says. Same thing. Restore us to our former state of blessing and fellowship where we, where we had you and we had your presence and things were wonderful. We fell away, but God, do something. Restore us. Lord, we want to march in victory with you, our warrior, commander, God. That's what he's calling out for. So far in this psalm, the psalmist has come boldly to God. Hear me, God. Listen, give ear. He lists God's attributes. He's calling on God to restore Israel, to return them to favor in his sight, to save them from pain and lament and mourning and humiliation. And now he turns to remembrance after this verse. Remembrance of what God has done. Because nothing strengthens our our faith moving forward. And we must be moving forward in our faith. But nothing strengthens that like genuine thanksgiving and remembrance of what God has already done. The way he's already come through for you in your life. What he's already done to show his faithfulness. And you see this time and time and time and time again in the Psalms. How do I know that I can trust God to do what he's calling me to do? Because I remember of what he's already done, how he's already shown up faithfully for me. And that's what the psalmist does here in verse 8. You remove a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground before it, and you took deep root and filled, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadows and the cedars of God with its boughs. He's saying, God, I remember, and I'm asking you to remember, which means to act, that you chose us. And if you're saved this morning, understand this. God chose you first. You didn't convince God to save you. He decided to save you in eternity past. Who is it that that God has chosen? Scripture is clear, I think. We've talked about this ad nauseum in our Wednesday Bible study. It is whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. That's who's been chosen. But understand, he chose you first. And that's what this psalmist is saying. God, you chose us. God, you delivered us from the hells of slavery in Egypt. You you brought us to this land as your people. You, You trimmed us as your vine when we were in Egypt. You trimmed us as a vine. From the, from, from the vineyard, and you took us away from Egypt, and you planted us here. God, you did that. The land, the land that was Canaan, the land of Canaan, that is now the land of Israel, the land of your promise to our father Abraham. You cleared out the enemy. You did the work. You planted us in the ground. You caused us. You caused your, our, your vine, us, your vine, to grow so much that he figuratively says here poetically, so much so that we covered the mountains Think about a vine that grows so big that it covers the mountains and the trees of God, the cedars of God. You did it, but we've sinned against you. We've sinned against you, God. And now it was sending out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the rivers. We were growing. Why have you broken down its hedges, our protection, so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away and Whatever moves in the field feeds on it. God, but now the, inter- the enemy's destroying us. Closing in on all sides. And it may not be Assyria for you. And it may not be Babylon for you. But it may be something. It may be a relationship that you're hanging on to. And you feel like it's just all you can do to make it. 
I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's closing in on you. But life can do that sometimes. And, and, and the psalmist feels that, God, the enemy is closing in around us, all around us. He's taken your vine that you promised to plant and to grow and to fertilize and to bless. God, they're devouring us. God, God's, Assyria has already taken our sister nation to the north. They've conquered Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin, as he says at the beginning, which was the largest of the, 12, of the ten tribes in the north. It's like saying the northern tribes. God, they're devouring us. Don't, don't let us be taken also, God. Maybe you feel that way about our nation. I don't know. God, don't, <laughs> this whole thing's going to pot. Don't let, don't let us go with it too. Do something, God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that spot in your life where you're just crying out to God? God, just do something. I don't know what you need to do. I know you need to do something. That's where this psalmist is. He's crying out to God to just do something. Hear me, God, and do something. But he's remembering where they've been. And then we get to verse 14. Oh, God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. Do something for your people. Even the shoot which your right hand has planted and on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. Verse 16 says, it is burned with fire, this, this vine, this shoot, this branch. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Your presence, God, causes them to perish because you're rebuking them. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. We beseech you. God, when's the last time you beseeched? Use that word beseech. Anybody use the word beseech in the last in a sentence in the last 20 years? We beseech you, God. We beg you, Lord. We beg. We plead. Like that's a strong word. Like we're with everything I have, God, I'm begging you, please turn back to us. The shoot and branch of your vine is being rebuked by your pruning. You're pruning us and placing us in the fire. God, God, please relent. Have mercy. Your very presence rebukes us, Lord. It's, fu it's funny how people that... Uh, people that are living for the Lord. That's the, way I, that's the way we should say it. People that are living for the Lord. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to tell you what you're doing wrong. They don't have to condemn you with their words. But their very presence can bring a little bit of conviction on someone. Happens a lot for the preacher. It gets old, to be perfectly honest. You know, everybody's cutting up and, and doing the things, and the preacher walks in, and everybody tries to straighten up. You know? Like, I don't know y'all. I know y'all. Better than you think. I know myself, too. So just stop that, please. But think about the Lord's presence coming. Think about the Lord's presence being right in front of you. It happened for Isaiah. What did he say? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. If we come into the presence of a holy God, we would recognize our dirtiness, our wretchedness, our sinfulness in a way that we haven't even come close to understanding yet. You would understand all the nasty things that placed the Son of God on the cross to keep you from feeling the wrath of God for those things. Kind of what he's talking about here. He says, but let your hand be on us. 
Let your hand be on us, God, and we'll be made strong. You can save and deliver, God. You can do it. Only Yahweh Sabaoth, only the Lord God of hosts. The word here for son in this verse is ben in the Hebrew, and, and, and it literally means son, so like son of Israel, like children of God. But figuratively, it's branch in the context here. It could be used as branch also. So it's a cool play on the word here, upon the branch uh, that, uh, uh, that you have made strong in, in verse 15. Um, and then it's the same word is kind of turned here in 17 to be used in the context of son. Strengthen your people, God. And, and how? How does he say to strengthen? Or sh- should I say, with whom do they call upon God to strengthen them? <clears throat> upon the man of your right hand, the son of man. Whoo! Did you know Jesus was in the Psalms? <laughs> there he is, the son of man. A messianic promise of the deliverer to come. There it is right there. We know him by name. They're calling for him. We know him by name. God, send the guy that's to your right hand, the, the, the son of man, the deliverer, the, the, the strong one, the, the Messiah. Send him, God, whoever he is. Some, somehow he's coming from David, but whoever he is, send him, God. Lord, please send him. We know that guy by name. Don't take it for granted. We live in a wonderful time. God provided that deliverer that this psalmist is calling for, that he's crying out for. His name is Jesus. He's the son of man and the son of God. He walked this earth, ate its food, drank its water, performed miracles, healed the blind so to make them see. He healed the lame to make them walk. He gave himself for you on the cross to deliver you from sin and hell and the grave. He desires to know you personally. If you to walk with his power on this earth and help build his kingdom, now is his desire. He has a purpose and a direction for your life, and is to serve and love your fellow man to bring him glory. That's his purpose for your life, yours and mine and anybody else that calls upon him to save them and to be his Lord. That is your purpose, to serve and love your fellow man. And walk in that. And you'll find nothing, and I mean nothing, in this life and in this world that will bring you the satisfaction and the joy that that will bring. Nothing else that you try will bring that satisfaction to you. Every person that went to Mexico last week, I promise you, would stand up and attest to that right here, right now, that that is true. We were dirty. We were sweaty. We drove on roads that felt more like potholes than roads. We worked. We labored. We paid to do it, literally. The world would say, what a waste. We should have just went on down to Cabo San Lucas and just chilled. That would be better. I mean, build your kingdom. That's what the world would tell you. Build your kingdom. Sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. For that's what life is. And every single person that is like that is as unfulfilled as as depressed on the inside as they could possibly be. And they keep trying to find things with the world that will fill that hole, and and it's an unfillable hole. It's a hole that can't be filled. Followers of Jesus will tell you that when you serve God by serving and loving your neighbor, that there's nothing better than that, and there ain't. He says, Lord, send us a deliverer. And then, then 
We shall not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Send us a deliverer, God of hosts. Revive us, God. Lord, make us strong. Revive us, Lord, so we can worship you properly, so we can call upon your name. Does that sound familiar? It should to those of you in Lunch, Learn, Pray. Romans 10 says it like this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One who believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one who confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Remember that they were humiliated? For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. We're all the same before the Lord. Since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him for everyone, say it, everyone Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it's talking about right here, verse 18. Then we'll call upon your name, God. Send us your deliverer. We have him. We know him. The deliverer is here. I like this God. You like this God? I like this God. Finishes verse 19. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. The refrain, he repeats it. In the first refrain, it was God. Elohim. And the second one, it was Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And here, it's all of that. The psalm has built up to this, to this breaking point. And now he says, Yahweh Elohim Sabaoth, all three together, Lord God of hosts, a full cry out to the fullness of God the Father who gives the Son to adopt and strengthen his children. He's saying, show us face, cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. I've never seen a single human being that called to the Lord not have him answer. I've never seen a, a, a person that truly, humbly, and, and, and genuinely calls out to God to be saved and delivered, not be saved and delivered. I don't mean given what they want. I mean given what they need. I've never seen it, and you'll never will see it, because he's a God who wants to answer that prayer. What did Romans say? Whosoever except for you. Is that what it said? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord except for you, Lisa, sorry, you don't count. It's not what it says. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's one God who saves, and one God who restores, and there's one God who delivers, and there's one God who provides. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh, God the provider. He is the God the warrior king that delivers and saves. He is the God who calls his children to himself and never forsakes them. What he has saved will be saved, and what he has saved will continue to be saved and will continue to follow him forevermore. So whatever it is that you're going through this morning, remember who it is that you've placed your faith and trust in. He's the God that says he'll never leave you or forsake you. He ultimately delivered Israel. For those of you that have read the Old Testament at all. And he ultimately answered the cry of this psalm in Jesus. Even though the psalmist wasn't even sure what he was crying out to God for. He's a good God. He's never not come through. He always will. He's a God worth worshiping. And I just pray that we take encouragement in that this morning. So if you are someone who hasn't ever called upon the name of the Lord. Who hasn't recognized their sinfulness. Then you can do that right here during this last song. And if you are someone who has done that, then maybe during this last song, we give a little bit of praise and worship back to the guy who did it all for you and for me. I'll pray for us and we'll finish in song. Father God, we thank you and love you for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that you are the deliverer. You are the savior, God. You are the one and only hope of this world. God, we thank you for that this morning. We praise you for that. 
this morning, God. And I pray that if anyone has business to tend to during this time, God, that they would seek me or whomever you lead them to to get that business taken care of. God, we thank you and we love you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.